I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, before we get the show started, I wanted to let you know we are giving away a bunch of brand new black magic gear. Yeah, cameras, switchers, DaVinci Resolve licenses, a bunch of awesome stuff. So stay tuned to learn how you can enter to win free gear from Black Magic, and we're going to tell you all about it later on in this episode. Now cue the music. Hey, welcome to the 124th episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, screenwriting, and directing. I'm Matt Emmo. And I'm Warren Kaplan, and today we have Jessica Sanders on. Jessica is a director that has worked in every field of film She is Oscar-nominated. She's had two films at Sundance. She started in the doc world, then had like a giant career as a commercial director. Steve Jobs single-handedly chose her to direct uh, one of the first iPad commercials. And now she's moving into a narrative film. She's prepping to do her first feature. She just had a short at Sundance. And now we're talking about what life is like when you're reinventing yourself. Yeah, if you've ever thought about pivoting or changing your voice or just reassessing who you are as an artist, Jessica has a lot of really great pointers and has gone through it many times and is going through it again. So if you've ever thought about redefining your voice, uh, stay tuned. Yeah, but before we talk to Jessica, we are going to read some iTunes reviews. Ooh, I love iTunes reviews. Yeah, these are good because there's one, there's a couple that are, I mean, they're all Great five-star reviews. But I think your dream came true, Or My dream came true. I always say that if you get a negative comment, it means you're reaching people you don't know. So I think we reached Ooh, that. Oh, boy. Here we go. Uh, hit me. What you got? Our first comment is from Raquel Alethea. I apologize if I'm mispronouncing the name. Raquel says... Recently found this podcast, and I really enjoy the guy's POV, though I do take issue with Oren continuing to say that L.A. actors are better. Coming from an actor with very few film opportunities in and around my city and unable to uproot my family, I think local hires deserve a fair shot, too. Still, really entertaining and informative behind-the-scenes show. You on blast. Yeah, it's interesting, I guess. I thought it was kind of a shared point of view that Matt and I had, but I guess it's just me. Um, well, I, I think you, you've had more gripes recently. I think is, Yeah, is I guess down to. in response to Raquel, I appreciate your comment, and you are 1,000% right. Uh, I might have said this. I did not mean that L.A. actors are better. I What I was focusing on is that the pool of amazing actors in L.A. is bigger than in other places. At times, I think that might be advantageous if you are in Houston, let's say, and you are like one of the top 10 best actors in Houston, you are probably more likely to book a role 
than if you move to LA, you know, but, um, you know, there's just so many unknowns when you are making commercials, making film, making things, uh, that when you have to cast a lot of roles and you're looking for specific types, it's sometimes important to have more than one or two or even 10 choices. And so the places where actors tend to congregate New York, L.A., Chicago to some degree, um, those are the places where just statistically speaking, there's a larger mind to go from. So that's not a, a accusation about quality relative to each group. There's great actors all over the world. Right. Um, this Comcast job I just did, we had to cast 17 people and we want 17 great actors. So we have to see like 100 actors. And of specific types. Too, yeah, they're all know? very specific ages and looks and types and everything. And so, yeah, th- that all said, I told Matt this earlier, but I had a Lyft driver the other day that was an actor from Portland, Oregon. He had been acting in Portland for 20 years and he just moved here because he said all these L.A. film crews would come up there and shoot Portlandia and all the other shows that shoot up there. And they would only want to bring up L.A. people and they weren't super respectful or nice to the local film community or the local acting community. I mean, that's shitty, I guess, for lack of a better word. I'm sorry that that happens. I know it does happen, and I know I'm part of the problem. Just being super selfish, it's one thing that maybe I don't invest a lot of time in learning about mm-hmm. film communities in other places How that I don't live other places. because yeah. I'm stretched so thin trying to shoot 10 commercials in three days at 17 locations with, you know, limited resources that whatever is a known quantity, whether it's an actor person, like a, a cast person or a crew person that I've worked with a ton before, usually in LA, then, I'll, then that's helpful. But Carlin, who is, uh, you know, a frequent guest on the show, She's shooting now something in Austin with our friends. And one of the reasons I think they loved her for the job is because she already has like all this crew and yeah, cast she, connections she's in Austin. She's got the, the hometown connections. Yeah. So it, there's something helpful about being like from a different city, moving to L.A. and then getting a job back in that city and being able to bring film yeah. back there. You're, so, your own six, six, you're your own fixer. Yes. Uh, so thank you for the comment, for Raquel. Uh, I'm, I apologize. <laughs> So Jesslyn Amerling says, I've been listening to this podcast while I prep for film school this fall. Matt and Orrin make the film industry and its lingo super accessible for people looking in from the outside. They interview interesting guests who bring in their perspectives as well. Writers, directors, actors, etc. I would highly recommend it to anyone looking to break into the industry or still in the beginning of their career. However, at some point you have to take a break from listening and just shoot it. Mm-hmm. Another comment that's like, hey, stop listening. Start doing. <laughs> uh, thanks so much, Jesslyn. No, you're totally right. Go I mean, do it. Yeah. Matt and I need to take that advice. Stop yeah. making this podcast. Yeah, boy. And make some movies. What are we doing? See you later. <laughs> oh, Matt just left. Okay, two more. Alex Gry says, it's amazing for filmmakers. I'd consider myself a filmmaking podcast aficionado, and this one is the best by far. Matt and Oren offer up so much useful information on both the craft and business sides with killer guests. Highly recommended. Thanks, Alex. I don't know if we are the best, but I do think we... Uh, occupy a niche part of the filmmaking podcast. Uh, We were talking about this today. That is, it's about people that are breaking into film now, as opposed to people that broke into film 10 years ago or people that are still trying to break in. So hopefully it's useful because it's in real time. Yeah. yeah, There's some models of people that you can follow. I will admit, I think we're like our guests. uh, I've 
it's been a real treat in interviewing the guests we've had on recently. So yeah, all our original guests are just garbage. Oh boy, <laughs> God, just kidding. All of our dear friends um, and also talented. Okay, final iTunes review from Lev M ninety. Great podcast for anyone looking to work in film. This has quickly become one of my favorite podcasts on film up there with script notes and the Brett Easton Ellis podcast, Mm. which is pretty awesome. I didn't know Brett Easton Ellis had a podcast. Yeah, I didn't either. I tune in every week for the great insights from Oren and Matt, both working directors and their guests who come from various backgrounds, DPs, execs, actors, and more. Well worth the subscribe. Hey, thank you so much. Well, guys, that was um, really flattering, really fun. Uh, keep them coming. It really, it does genuinely help the show grow. I think that iTunes recommendations and uh, ratings are the number one driver of whether or not you get algorithmically spiked, we'll say. Thank you all so much for your support and help. It's really incredible. Another way you can support the show is by contributing to our Patreon. Uh, go to patreon.com slash just shoot it pod. Throw us a couple bucks. Uh, it'll really help us pay our editors who do such fine work. Um, show your support. There's all sorts of cool extra perks. We're designing a new sticker for you guys. We've got a, a live event coming up at the end of the summer. Uh, patrons will get a little extra something something. Um, and also our newsletter. So, you know, I think Oren put it best when he described it as uh, our Patreon subscribers are like the IMDb Pro of just <laughs> the Just Shoot It community. So, yeah, I um, did put it best. Yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah. Um, so, look, the show is always going to be free, and so this is just an extra way to say thank you. So if you think that the show has brought you a little bit of value and you've got a little disposable income to help support the people who make it, uh, throw us a buck or two. Thanks, guys. And here's Jessica. Jessica Sanders, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. No problem. Welcome, welcome. I've known Jessica for a pretty long time. You're one of the first directors... I mean, I don't know. I, I met you through, we have a mutual friend, Avi, and you were always directing like a bunch of cool commercials, like yeah. years ago when I first moved to Silver Lake. Um, and you're still directing a lot of cool things. <laughs> Thanks. So I'm let's talk about it. Jessica, okay. did you, were you born here? Were you I'm LA from, native? Yeah, I'm from Santa Monica and oh, right on. come from a filmmaking family. So grew up in it. Uh, I am always curious when I meet someone who's, when, born and raised in LA. Where'd you go to high school? I went to Harvard Westlake, which mm-hmm. is more like nerdy than like creative. Oh yeah. I mean, it's the, it's Slytherin of the, <laughs> <laughs> the LA private schools, right? Like it's pretty, it's famously competitive and just yeah, yeah. I was high consi- state cutthroat. Yeah. yeah, yeah. People intense. kill each yeah. other. <laughs> sure. Um, yeah. And it has nothing to do with Harvard, right? No relation. Mm-mm. Actually, when I went, it was a girls' school called Westlake and a boys' school called oh. Harvard, and they merged my ninth grade year. Yeah, yeah. So. Oh, cool. Ooh, what a terrible year. <laughs> yeah, you saw girls suddenly become mean. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. incredible. So your parents were filmmakers, and did they tell you you have to be a filmmaker? No, they were like, don't do filmmaking. <laughs> Stay away. Be a lawyer. What, why, what was their perspective? Why did they say don't I do I think filmmaking? they just, just because, like, the life... The filmmaking life is like not necessarily easy path, but they, as my mentors, like have always followed their passion and they love what they do. So and they, why wouldn't I want to do that too? And, you know, traveled the world with them growing up and their films and um, art and life is very interconnected where like they made a film about Maya Lin who designed the Vietnam Veterans Memorial in DC and then she like designed a house for them or 
um, they made a film on fighter pilots shot down North Vietnam, and those people are their friends. So, like, it's all very connected, and mm-hmm. it was an interesting way to grow up. And they did mostly documentary stuff? All, uh, my dad actually started narrative, and he won an Oscar when he was 21 um, for a short film called A Time Out of War, and then he discovered uh, Robert Redford with his brother. They directed Redford's first movie called War Hunt. Korean Wait, War your film. dad discovered Robert yes. Redford? Are yeah. you serious? Yeah, oh, I didn't first know movie. And then he and his brother both got into documentaries. So he started out in narrative, but he's been doing... And then actually at age like 85, he just directed a narrative film. <laughs> so, oh, right. Um, based Way on a script go, that he wrote in 1966 and like resurrected it. Wow. About first love. That's awesome. So it's never too late to follow your dreams. So did you note that script? I actually found it like, I don't know, like seven years ago and I wanted to direct it. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. And then my dad was like, let's co-direct it. I'm like, uh. Mm. And then I was like, you need to make your movie. So, yeah. But there was a period where I actually I wanted to direct it. But it's his story and, it, sure. and he needed to make that movie. It was cool. Wait, you found the script like in an old drawer or something? I don't know. I just like came across it. It's called Liza Liza Skies Are Gray and it's this kind of coming of age teen love story and set on the California coast and these kids drive up from Santa Monica to Big Sur to lose their virginity and it's really beautiful and I don't know it's it's a good story that's cool do you think I've been thinking a lot about this lately but do you think that like a 25 year old filmmaker versus like a 45 year old filmmaker versus an 85 year old filmmaker making a movie about teen love like that those three versions of the movie come out very differently from each other like you mean saying based on age yeah that like the things that how old you are the things that you care about are a lot different, right? Like if you're in your 20s, there's like pretty much one thing you care about, which is like kind of sex and friendships and roommates, right? Like three things you care about. <laughs> um, but then if you're like in your 40s, you're it's a little bit more about like, where am I going in life, right? Uh, it's a, it just seems like, like very yeah. different perspectives as human beings, not necessarily filmmakers. So if you're making like a teen love story... As, like, an older person. I mean, that my dad, it was based on his own, like, first love story, and he directed it at 85. So I guess, yeah, it felt as a nostalgic feel. It's set in the 60s. So, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's interesting to think about. Yeah, that's awesome. So so you started out making documentaries. I did. So I definitely followed in my family's footsteps. Do you remember the moment that you were like, you know what, I'm going to give this a shot. Sorry, Mom and Dad. Um, I went to Wesleyan and I studied film and mm-hmm. I was just, I made a narrative short that like did the festival circuit it was an I thesis film. And it's like, I'm good at it. Th- I was just like, I could tell I was, I was like, I'm, I felt confident in it. And I, I just felt like I was good at it and it was fun. Um, and what's the question? Just, just the moment that you decided like, oh, I'm going to be serious about being a filmmaker. Oh. Yeah. I think I just always, like I never I wasn't, I would never was like, I don't know what I want to do when I grow up. I just like immediately started directed very early on. So I've started, I just, I mean, my first, like I said, my first thesis film, I've been touring with festivals since like for 20 years, a long time. So, um, I just, I just, I just did it. Yeah. And were you doing every, like shooting and editing and doing everything yourself or did you always kind of work with the team? 
Um, I've always worked with talented cinematographers. So actually my DP, Shauna Hagen, who's like a big documentary DP, she shot my student film and now I still work with her. Oh, cool. Um, and then I edited my first short film and I actually kind of started out in editing a little bit. Um, but yeah, I've always like, I'm very collaborative and I, I don't like doing everything myself, not because I can't, but I just think it's more fun and inclusive and bringing smart people together to create something is like one of the best things ever. Right. Yeah. I'm, I only barely worked with you once. I oh, did really? like some, well, we, I did some VFX shots on, oh, right. on Bunyan, your yes. short film, <laughs> but I, I'm in that movie too. I, uh, I'm hacky second oh, right. in the park. <laughs> uh, typecast. But I remember you just had like every person on your crew just seemed like so good. Oh, thanks. Um, and you made it for, like, no money, right? So. Yes. So you direct a lot of commercials, right? Is yeah. that, like, part of how you get, like, really good crews to work for you? I don't. I mean, I feel projects? like whether it's tiny or bigger budget, like, you still always have to have the best people. I mean, it doesn't mean, like, they're, like, the fancy. Just, like, good people, you know, so. Sure, but I think, you know, there is a difference between having the resources to hire the best people and then maybe the friends and family version. Like I maybe Oren is asking like, how do you build relationships with the people that you got for Bunyan, for instance? Yeah. Um, well, and also my new short film, I definitely like benefited from my commercial mm -hmm. creative teammates that I work with and brought them onto my narrative. So, um, Yes, being a commercial director, I always say is like the best thing that ever happened to me because mm -hmm. I had a 11 year career as a documentary filmmaker and traveled the world, like was on my for Oscar, won Sundance, like have had theatrical films. And, um, but Are it's, you won Sundance with, uh, March, um, with um, After Innocence, oh, After which Innocence. is the, it was the first major film about wrongfully convicted people cleared by DNA and what happens once they get out of prison. And my next my first narrative feature film, which I'm going to do next, is based on a story from that film. Oh, and did you find that story yourself? Um, yeah, I developed it from scratch, basically for After Innocence. I, um, my producing partner was an attorney with the Innocence Project, and mm -hmm. I had been nominated for an Oscar for a film called Sing about one of the best children's choirs in the country. And so we had a mutual friend. So I was like the filmmaker and he was the lawyer, you know, he had the access to the innocence project and the innocence project had never given access to anyone before to tell mm -hmm. the stories of their clients. And we got permission and, and we started this journey where at the time, like now there's like serial and making a murder and like, there's so much attention mm -hmm. on wrongful conviction stories, but our film was like the first and, um, well, a thin blue line, right? Okay, there was thin, but this was like this was like it has helped change laws. It helped one guy get two million dollars for twenty two years in prison for a rape he didn't do. Like it's it became sure. part of like a yeah yeah a bigger thing. But yes, there was thin blue sure. line, for sure. which did that too. Yeah, I actually haven't seen that in like a hundred. Oh, it's good. I mean, it's it's still weird because it does all of those reenactment things, you know. But like, yeah, definitely. Errol Morris. Yeah. 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 Yeah, it's kind of uh, his We're thing. very different filmmakers. <laughs> hey, man. But we both actually, the only filmmakers that were allowed, sorry, I'm like going all over the place, but no, we're no, the only no, filmmakers fine. allowed to film at Elizabeth Holmes of Theranos. Theranos, do you know about her? Mm -hmm. She's the woman who's like now like under, like in, 
investigation because her company, the blood testing company, like she was the youngest oh, self-made yeah, female yeah. billionaire. And it was just funny that we, I haven't met Errol, but we, we both filmed at there. Anyways, but back to after innocence. Um, anyways, yeah, it was, it was a great experience making that movie and, um, but yes, there was Thin Blue Men. But no, no, sorry. <laughs> Damn it, Matt. <laughs> sorry. You sorry. ruined the flow. Yeah, no, I, yeah, just I, kidding. Yeah. Um, but you were saying, though, before, just to kind of circle back, because I feel like we are all over the place uh, and you've got so much interesting stuff to talk about. But you were saying um, commercial directing was the best thing that ever happened oh. to you because you, you'd won all these awards, you'd done documentary, and then you kind of moved into commercial, and that maybe helped you solidify your teammate is that what your team no it just or? creatively like i was ready for a new chapter like mm-hmm. i grew up in a documentary filmmaking family i creatively like work did major documentary films for like i said like 11 mm-hmm. years and i don't know i felt like i'd done what i i mean i don't you know kind of like box. a kind yeah, of sure. and i basically made this really intense holocaust movie that weren't mentioned called mark oh, right. living uh it was a brazilian holocaust production shot in brazil germany Poland, Israel, and the U.S., and it, like, kind of kicked my butt. And after that, I was yeah, like, I it's like, I don't... I edited it for a year. It was crazy, and, and it was in five languages. And I don't know, after that, I just was like, I don't want to make a documentary for a while. <laughs> and I, cool it doesn't mean that studio. I won't, but it's yeah, just, yeah. like, I consciously shifted into more crafted narrative filmmaking. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, this, like, opportunity came up to make an autobiographical short film for Sony Mm -hmm. that was shot at my parents' house. And it was 90 seconds long about like having film in the refrigerator and like film stock under the bed. And it's, you know, it's all real. The object, I don't like to be on film. So it's my story told through the objects in our home. And that launched my commercial career because it ended up like going viral and winning in Cannes and Steve Jobs saw it. And then commercial directing, I would say the best thing ever happened to me because one, it's so fun and, um, and I like support and I like collaborating with like production designers and costume designers and just having more, I think documentaries, like it's like you're doing everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have, I do have a crew, but it's like, you're it's still a doing deal. a lot. Yeah. And I just, yeah. in commercial directing and more narrative directing, it's like you get to just do the more creative stuff. And that's been so much fun. I wonder if. Um, you know, I, I think about the nature of not having, let me back up. My parents were like totally normal, like work a day. Like my mom's a teacher. My dad's a plant salesman. Right. And so your dad sells plants. He was like merchandising basically. So he was a sales rep for like a a company that would make sure that the, you know, Walmart had a plenty of daisies. You know, literally. Yeah. (laughs) So like, you know, my, my always joke, my grandparents were uh, an FBI agent, a stay at home mom, a meat packer and wanted my, like a telephone technician. So like straight up fifties jobs, you know what I mean? Like classic, like I love Lucy style jobs. Anyway. So the point is, is that I didn't have a creative lifestyle modeled for me. Right. And so the idea of freelancing is insane to them. You know, not having, like, my grandpa worked at AT&T his entire life. He had one job. That was it. I mean, like, the company split a couple times, so you got great stock options. But, like, you know, that was their whole thing. And so I wonder if there's maybe something about your parents are both documentarians. Like, it's an 
a more natural step to be like, okay, the first thing I'm going to do is shoot documentary. And then once you get the hang of that, shifting into something else, maybe. Could that be part of the process, you maybe. think? Maybe. I mean, I, I went projecting? to Wesleyan and I studied narrative filmmaking and sure. I made a narrative short and I always intended to narrative. And during my documentary career, like I wrote my first script and realized I'm like, I'd rather work with writers who are better at it than mm-hmm. me. So I've wanted to do narrative, but I also like, yeah, maybe between like feel getting a strong handle on like character and mm-hmm. narrative of in the documentary world. And then also becoming a very experienced director as a commercial director, working with like huge crews, huge budgets. Mm-hmm. Like now I'm like very, very ready to do a sure. narrative feature. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I don't know, but, and maybe, yeah, just like evolving as a yeah. creative person. Well, I want to talk about your latest short and your feature that you're doing, but the last thing I want to ask about, like your transition from documentaries to commercials is, I guess I think what I'm thinking, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners are thinking is like, to try to make a sustainable living, it seems to the outsider that you would make a lot more money doing commercials and maybe be able to save up some money or buy a house or put get a 401k or something. And in documentary filmmaking, it's probably a little bit harder. I mean, we don't really get residuals doing any of our jobs, right? So it's like whatever you get paid next week, yeah. you're not going to get paid again until no, you get the next yeah, job. Yeah, for sure. Being commercial directors night and day. I mean, I've always made a living as a filmmaker in documentaries with my family. But yeah, when suddenly you, you like learn, like become a commercial director, you're like, oh, this is completely different. <laughs> um, and it's great because you're getting paid to like also learn, like try with like work with drones or cranes or like work with incredible cinematographers who do huge movies, you know, so um, and you can make a living in a much more vibrant way. And then like, for instance, I w- I've been able to save up so I can develop my feature. And um, so that's been very helpful. That's awesome. So, okay. So then, so you made a short that premiered at Sundance this year, end of End of the, the line. line. End yeah. of the line. With Simon Helberg and Brett Gelman and a bunch of other cool people, right? Or like, or how, uh, how did that come well, about? Well, I actually read that story 13 years ago, and I've wanted to make it for 13 years. So, but it's a very ambitious short. It's all visual effects because it's about a man who goes to the pet store and buys a two-inch man in a cage and brings mm-hmm. him home. And you have to... We had to build a 30-foot cage. We built a 30-foot penis. We had 67 visual effects shots. I'd Who never... doesn't have a 30-foot penis <laughs> just getting around, though? Yeah. It was In awesome. There, it's like red cameras and 30-feet penis. <laughs> right. But um, so it's just one of these crazy stories. It's written by the writer Amy Bender. And so I just was like, I really want to... I just... I don't know. This image of the little man in the cage always stayed with me. So, um, so I just knew I wanted to make it. I didn't know how I would ever make it, but I just knew I would... It's like want something you have in your back pocket. And then um, a woman named Joanne Geiger, who's a screenwriter, she's writing another feature for me. I was like, oh, maybe you should do this short. And she loved it. And so she adapted it maybe like six years ago, and we would work on it on and off. And then and did you have the rights to the story? Not even short? not yet, yeah. I mean, I knew the writer, but I hadn't optioned the, the rights yet. Oh. And then two years ago, I met with Refinery29. They're like a women's, like a mega... Website. Yeah, online magazine. Sure. Yeah, I and did they, the series Shitty Boyfriends. Do you know that series? I don't know. But they're amazing. I love them. They're amazing. And they, they basically are like, they're just, 
they're killing it. And they're basically like Hollywood is so unequal and it's hiring practices of women. 4% of Hollywood features are directed by women. We want to help create change. And they started a campaign called Shatterbox where every year they're supporting, I think like eight female directors and their films. And so I'm very lucky to be, um, have my film financed by them and TNT. Um, and also I had to get additional support from a, a couple of generous executive producers because the film is not is you know not sure. not a small film. Not but, uh, Wait, and how did you become one of those eight? Did you apply or did they? I just like ha- happened you? to have like a random general meeting. Someone was like, "Oh, you should. You're in New York. You should go meet with them." And I met with them, and they were like, "Oh, we have this new thing called Shadow." I didn't even know what they were, and now I'm like huge, a huge. Like yeah. I'm indebted to them. Yeah, they're amazing. I love them. Yeah. And so you sent them, you're like, at your general meeting, you're like, well, by the way, I have this Well, I actually had project. another project with our friend Avi, like an improvised comedy that I, I've been like working on. And because um, that's like female and Refinery29 is about women. So end of the line, my short is about men and power and like penises. There's no, it's not about <laughs> women. So I didn't think they would be interested, but they're like, oh, the theme of a Shatterbox is power. So I was like, well, it is about power. So I sent it to them and they're like, oh my God, we love it. So it was, it was awesome. It was cool that they loved it. So, but they, it took two years to set up. I'm, I'm curious, how did you go about optioning the story once you were ready to, to go for it? Just like, like literally the logistics of like, um, how do you do well, that? Well, I did know Amy, the writer, but I've mm. optioned other pro- other books and you just contact the writer and your lawyers negotiate it. And so then, when you say you contact the writer, like literally though. I think I sent her an email and I'm like, hey, I'm yeah, interested. You like Google their website and, and shoot them Probably. an email? Probably. I think, yeah. yeah, most people you can like find out where yeah. they're wrapped and um, she's like, cool, that sounds fun. And then, yeah, then you have the lawyers talk and... Mm-hmm. Is there, I'm always curious about, like, I wonder if there's a way of doing a little bit of research and knowing whether or not something is, has already been optioned or not, you know? You can't, I mean, I know that this story actually, I think, like, I don't know if Rosanna Arquette, but someone like that had optioned it, I think, before me, Mm -hmm. but never did anything with it. And it is, and actually my next project, which is a story that I, like, helped have uh, find the writer for the book. Like they ended, they first like had someone else option and then I ended. I mean, so like, so I think if you are passionate about a story or a book or an article, like keep tabs on it cause things fall apart or, you know, um, so, so if it doesn't, it's not a bad th- I mean, if, if it's an option before it doesn't matter. Is that like part of being a filmmaker to you? Is it like keeping your eyes open for like kind of cool stories and, like, it seems like, because I know, I kind of feel like for the past few years, I've kind of been hearing of you, like, looking for scripts or finding scripts or finding projects or developing things. Like, how much of your weekly, of your week do you dedicate to, like, finding stuff to direct? That's a good question. I mean, I'm not the best reader of scripts, like, <laughs> um, not the fastest, but I do get scripts sent to me, so by my From agents your- or, like... Or even my short, like a couple of producers have reached out to me. They're like, "Oh my god, we want you to direct our movie," and like they weren't necessarily the right fit. Um, but I, I mean, like my feature that I'm doing, and also the short, these are all like things I've been with for like, like I said, like 13 years, and mm-hmm. I've developed from scratch. And, and I have another project that's based on a book that my best friend wrote, and I've also been developing for like eight years. So, like, I guess. I would totally direct something that I can just be hired on and not have to develop it from scratch. But 
I do like, yeah, like have it be my baby and really like, I think like good stuff takes a long time to find its way. Right. And you've been attached to things and detached and a little bit, not like heavily, but yeah, maybe like one, one or two projects. Right. Yeah. Cause I think, so I think a lot of our, I mean, our listeners are kind of all over the place. A lot of working professionals, a lot of film school students, a lot of people that are just moving to LA or deciding to like get into film. But it sounds like kind of what you have is like, you have all these stories you want to tell while you're making a living as a filmmaker mm-hmm. doing commercials or documentaries. Yeah. But you also are like networking and getting meetings and basically like. And then you're ready with the right yeah. project for that meeting. Like you right. need yeah. those two elements to come together. Yeah. If you didn't have the happen. script for your short, then that meeting with Refinery29 would have just been nice and you had a bottle yeah. of water. That was you know? just like one of those things that was like, oh my God, I do have something. Right. But yeah. But that's like. That was like, I have that. There was not like a 50 shorts laying sure. around. That like was like box. my prize that I've been like. Right. But you also had that them. feature that you were developing with Avi. And like, I feel like you, it's happened, a, like you've originated a lot of projects, whether it's something yeah. you found or whether it's. I have um, originated a lot of projects. And I also just think like, I mean, there is an imbalance in hiring practices in Hollywood. And I had definitely have gone up for feature jobs and like not gotten, you know, so I. I, it's not like I'm like not trying to get hired on stuff too, you know. So it's like it's sure. a it's a mix. But um, but I'm lately very inspired by like Jordan Peele, or I just saw Sorry to Bother You with Boots Riley, and I met him at Sundance, or I just saw John Waters' Hairspray last night, and just like even with my short coming out or my feature, there is something about like we're artists, right? And like having your own, just like investing in your own art and your own baby is like. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, I'm in the process of, like, my first narrative feature, which has been, like, a very long road, but it's going to be, like, my creative dream coming true. And I think that will then attract, like, I just think it's, like, right now I'm interested in, like, investing in my own, like, sure. stuff. And Betting stuff. on yourself. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, I feel like because we, you know, Matt and I, we're actually, we're going to try to shoot something together. Because um, we do this podcast together for three years and it's been working and we're like, I, I think we both have the same issue, which is we want to make our own things and we feel like we're, you know, artists to, to, uh, to some extent. We have stories we want to tell and things we want to explore, but we also like want to make a living and support our families and go out to restaurants, and, you know. <laughs> Do all that stuff. Yeah. I don't um, eat out. Go I'm on trips. Free pizza right now, anyway. So that's why. <laughs> Jessica just goes from podcast to podcast, being like, "Hey, uh, I like, might yeah, order what, some food." What free food can I get? Sure. Um, no, but is that how do you get over that anxiety of like looking for the next commercial job or looking for the next paid gig and say, "Hey, I'm going to just take this time and develop this script or option this thing," knowing that it might not go anywhere? You know. Um. Well, it's not like I'm not looking for commercial work or anything like that. You know, like everything's like, all no, in pass, process. Pass, pass. Um, but I like, you know, hopefully I'm directing my film in the next six, eight months. So like I have turned down some things that didn't seem like I do want to really like invest all my cre- a lot of creative energy and like like making this the best possible film. So, um, but yeah, I'm not like turning down like a paid gig if it's the right gig you know mm-hmm. but everything it takes a really long time so right um yeah. but yeah I, my test is like if you're obsessed with it 
and you love it because it's going to take a long time, like then you'll, that's what, that's the litmus test. Cause if you're not like deeply passionate about it, it's too hard and long to like not be, it's just, you have to, to make a movie. It. Yeah. Do you think that's true even for your first project or do you think it's like kind of helpful to get like your first feature out of the way or feature length no. piece? No, I think like all the auteurs that I love, <laughs> they did like, whether it's, I don't know, Damien Chazelle did Whiplash. Like if you like do a, I mean, of course there are people like got their feet wet, but I mean, I, I, my path, like it is like my first doc, like, you know, when Sundance, my first commercial was the Sony thing. I don't know. So I'm like, maybe that's my path where like, I'll go kill it with the first thing mm-hmm. and then see what happens. But I don't know. I'm, I haven't, I'm in the process right now. So. Right. And how'd you find the writer that you're, that's writing the movie? Um, I got a great writer. I mean, very, very involved, but, um, I saw the movie L. Oh yeah. I love that movie. Which was nominated for an Oscar and I. She won the Oscar. She was nominated. No, she won. I think she won the French Oscar, but not the no, Oscar. No, she won the Isabelle Huppert. Yeah, she won Best Actress. I don't think so. I'll confirm right now. Yeah. I'm I don't sure remember. She didn't. I'm pretty sure because No, everyone... I know she didn't. I know, I know she won, like, the French Oscar, like, but not the Oscar. Okay, I think everyone I'm in their car sure. is, like, shouting at you. <laughs> <laughs> Best Actress nominees 2017, Emma Stone. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, Golden I had, Globe. She won the Golden Globe. There um, you go. So, yeah, so I, I mean, I'd been developing a script for a couple of years, but, um, David Burke is awesome. It's like one of the best. He's amazing. Anyway, so I assumed he was French and, um, I was looking, I had a writer and like, and then parted ways. And so I was looking for a great writer and, um, I saw Elle cause it's about a woman who's raped and my film involves a rape. And, um, and when I got out of that movie, I was with a friend they're like, oh, you got to find a writer like that. I was like, I know it's such an incredible movie. And then like the next day I was out with some friends. I was like, I need to find a screenwriter. And she's like, Oh, our friend wrote L. I was like, Oh my God, I just <laughs> saw it. He's not French. She's like, no, he lives in Burbank. <laughs> He's like our friend. Um, so I wrote him email and like he had, he wanted to do it. And like, it was, it was like, a, it was a miracle. <laughs> um, Wait, so you just saw L. your friend said that they knew the person that wrote No, Elle. she just randomly was, I didn't even say that I'd seen L. She was just like, oh, our friend is like blowing up. He just wrote L. I was like, I just saw it. That was written by a man? Yeah. Wow. So have Burke. you seen it? I haven't Matt, seen it. It's no. really good. Yeah. It's really like fucked up, um, but in a good way. I missed it. So then you just so, called them and you were like, hey. I just wrote him an email and then, yeah. See, I guess and I would hold, be like. Hold, hold on. Pump the brakes here. <laughs> okay. Like, you're like, hey, I saw your movie. We have this friend in common. Well, I tell him about the project. Sure. It's in a best-selling book. I'm a, like... And you own I the put up all my book. awards. Like, yeah, yeah. I'm an Oscar-nominated Sundance Academy. You know, you say sure, all that sure. stuff to make you sound fancy. and But also, he has to, like, love the story. And also, he specifically, um, I you know, he's, like, had a... He's done like 14 movies, but mm-hmm. I think it hasn't necessarily been the easiest road. And a lot of it has been horror. So L oh, was like his break yeah, yeah. out and like getting out of that. And so I think even with picking cotton, it's a, I mean, I think he's, like he, I really think he can write anything. So I think he wouldn't maybe not necessarily be offered a project like this. So for him, it was a different mm-hmm. kind of thing. So you're offering him an opportunity You've got like this pedigree, <laughs> if I, you know, but no, for real okay, though, because yes. I think that there's, 
I don't want to give listeners the misconception that it's that easy, but it, in a certain sense it is, right? So like I breaking think, down the fundamentals I of it, I think are valuable. I think the one thing to take away is like if you really, if you love somebody or something, like go for the best is mm-hmm. like my, if you can. You sure, know? And yeah. I, I definitely like went, went out to a lot of like major writers too who didn't, it was too small for their, I don't know, like or they wasn't a good fit or who knows what. But I mean, yeah, I think even with my short film, like, I got big actors on my mm-hmm. little short film because I was like, I want, like, sure. let's go for it. You know, instead of thinking, like, oh, it's short, it's like small. It's I was small, like, uh, no, yeah. like, I got Simon Hellberger's on The Big Bang Theory. I got Brett yeah. Gelman, who's like on Stranger Things and Lemon. You know, like, they loved the script and it, it was. They, right. It, and it know. wasn't, for them, it wasn't about being paid well. <laughs> Right. No. I mean, Simon I mean, it is was so rich. it was SAG, so yes, <laughs> sure. they ha- we had to pay sure. them. But um, but yes, I don't think a short film a short film is about creative opportunity. I think, and yeah. someone like Simon, I don't think he got like he really he had a very yeah. they both had a lot of emotional range in this film, yeah. and, and in ways that especially Simon, I think with Big Bang Theory, maybe doesn't have doesn't get to do a role like right. This. Yeah. Well, it's yeah. pretty. He does some provocative stuff. There's some in provocative it. stuff in the short. Yes. Do you, get do you very... have any personal connections to either of them, or like, how did you get to sign? Um, we are both at the same talent agency, but I had met him once, mm-hmm. kind of socially, like a couple of years ago. But, but they still have to like. It's just because you met them once doesn't mean you know like. Sure. So basically, both of them, I wrote them a letter, being like, "I think you're amazing. You'd be, you know." You're, be incredible for this role like i hope you like it you know but mm-hmm. but everything i do usually starts with like like i said like the email or a letter just so and you so you have the same you're at the same agency as simon so you ask your agent if he can he or she can pass your letter on which to is amazing you're like oh agent? it works in shorts yeah even um bunyan i didn't know alia shokat and oh you didn't no oh and you guys were like i were not even at the same agency or anything and i I think I just called her agent and sent her the letter and a script. So in that regard, it's like cool to know that, you know, if you do reach out, it sure. does get Wait, to Can people. you tell us the secrets of the letter? <laughs> like, what do you include in that? So you, I mean, obviously you tell they a little bit about yourself, right? Like your Yeah, credits. I mean, I think you usually you should always keep letters sh- simple and short and always under pay. Like you don't want to have some long letter, so it should be simple and effective. And do you tell her why you think she's like, you oh, now we're going to Alia. Um, yeah. Or any of them I, that you do. Yeah, tell I think actors. like, like I'm a big fan of your work. Like I, I love like this, what you've done. And like, I am writing you about, you know, the role of little man and, you know, just, mm-hmm. and like why I love this story and what like as an actor, I, I think they can bring to the role and a little bit, a couple lines about me, and like I'm excited to hear your thoughts. But you don't send like a lookbook or check out this test we shot, or this is what I'm imagining it'll look like or tone. No, because I think it's it is actually it does boil down to the writing, right? Always. Okay. So I think for end of the line, I did have like a a very simple like two pages of visuals, but um, Bunyan, no. And do you talk about the rest of the team? Do you say, like, we got this DP or this, it's finance? No, because I don't even anything. have any of that. Yeah. Oh, and no. do you have And also, them- I don't think, I mean, I love my DPs, but I don't think people, like, I don't know, unless it's, like, right. Sure, right. I don't know, most people, no. I think they they have to, it has to be a good creative fit, and I have to love it, and also feel safe, I think. Yeah, I remember 
this is a very weird tangent, but I was trying to attach, remember I was doing that movie, I was attached to this movie a year ago, we were looking for an older actor, and I think we're out to Christopher Walken, and uh, I have a friend that's like a psychic, and he was like trying to channel Christopher Walken, I was like, I need to write him a letter, but I don't know what to say, and he's like, hold on, let me, let me channel him, and I'll tell you what to say. Um, that's like, in like the, middle the of a worst restaurant. pitch for an SNL sketch I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> We're in the middle of Pine and Crane, this Taiwanese restaurant here in Silver Lake, and he's just like closes his eyes and he's like, he's like, hold on. Um, he's like, I'm going to do something weird, but just like, hold on, don't say anything. I'll be back with you in a second. <laughs> he just like closes his eyes and he's like, holds his hand like, you know, in like the own position and he just like channels Christopher Walken. And then he like comes back to me and he's like, okay, so... It's a long shot. This is, we'll start with this. <laughs> I never told you about this. No. I thought no, I talked about this on no, the podcast before. No, no you have not. Uh, Are there tarot cards also involved? No, he's like an empath. Empath NYC. You can follow this him on is, Instagram. Yeah, you're blowing my mind. Anyway, he goes, is, he goes... This is a side of Oren <laughs> I've not seen before. Yeah, well, he goes, so there's two ways you can get Christopher Walken. First one, probably not going to happen, is just to offer him like a fuck ton of money, right? And he's like, how much can you pay this person? I was like, I don't know, like million dollars he's like nah that, that's not the game changer for him second thing is he doesn't care about you don't talk about you don't talk about why you care just talk about why he's uniquely suited for this film yeah what you've seen him do and why you that's think he's the only right. person he had to ask the psychic. yeah yeah <laughs> he's an empath um, uh, so she was channeling me. yeah no so i guess Mr. he was Big right Bang Theory. um uh, well i guess but i guess just to I just don't know how granular, like, I don't want it to seem patronizing. I don't want to say, like, the way you looked at Leonardo DiCaprio and, like, catch me if you can just really made me think that you would be perfect for this. I don't know. I guess if it comes from the heart, right? Yeah. Yeah, if you're not bullshitting, then maybe it's fine. But but if they're they're the fifth actor you're going out to... (laughs) But if they're the fifth actor and you, there has to be a reason why you're choosing, like, writing them. Right, know, right. So I wonder if uh, this is speaking just from personal experience. I think that when you're kind of, like, getting a little lower on your list, like, that first choice passes, second choice, you're still super excited. Even when you get down to your fifth, I'll do the thing of, like, you kind of copy and paste the letter and then you tweak the important things here and there. I wonder if maybe just starting from scratch keeps you from phoning things in or like I not think so, but i also think bit, like you know? things happen the way yeah. they're supposed to happen so if like people are not a good fit it's like good it's good you're like oh good you're not sure. like like it's all it's all good you know yeah yeah my dp for the short couldn't ended up like his movie pushed and couldn't do it and like it was like two weeks before the sh- like or maybe three weeks but it was a very involved visual effects shoot and i needed someone who was like available like every like 10 hours a day of prep for weeks before it was because it was so intense and and i ended up getting an amazing amazing db but it's like the right person will unfold Mm -hmm. yeah i mean i think part of what you're saying that's really kind of inspiring is just like you see l and you like the writing contact the writer of l just go get him yeah i've heard of people sometimes i'll like see a short from someone that's like never made anything before and like looks amazing and i'm like how does it look so good yeah and reach out we got the colorist from you know csi it's like, how'd you get him? He's like, I don't know. I emailed him. He said he'll yeah, do it. Yeah, that's for the like thing. I, I really feel like just go for what you want. Yeah, because yeah. like I feel like we're all creative people who want to do good work and connect and like just go for it. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, so how do you put the feature together? Or is it is it cast already? Or what no, process are you No, we are in process of setting it up right now, so I can't say too much. But it's been a journey getting here, and mm-hmm. it's in the moving in the right direction. So I'm excited. But it's independent. You're going to make it independently, right? Like not with the studio. Yeah. Did having your short at Sundance like help in any it way? It can't hurt for sure. I mean, <laughs> I. The other, the timing of the short, it's just like, it's, it's been good, the timing of it, just because like, and also for myself, like before I do my feature, the short was basically a feature, but we only shot for six and a half days, but it was like the same, I would hire like my creative team, the amount of prep. I mean, it was just, it was, it was, it was the best for me as a director to like kind of feel like, okay, now I'm going to do it for longer. Um, For myself, it was the best. And then. For definitely just because I hadn't had a narrative sample since Bunyan and this is a lot more complicated and um can you tell it, us what this story is about of which one the movie that you're gonna do oh um it's called Picking Cotton and it's based on a true story from my documentary After Innocence um about a white woman in North Carolina who was raped in college she spent 30 minutes with her rapist who was black and studied his face it was dark and in a lineup she identified a man in Ronald Cotton and was totally certain that he was her rapist and he was sentenced to life in prison. And after 11 years, he was the first DNA exoneree in North Carolina. When he got out, she wanted to meet him and apologize and he forgave her. And now they're best friends are also activists. And he also solved his own case. He was in prison with a real rapist and like six months and figured it out. And, um, was able to get like a retrial and like present the real rapist. And she was like, I've never seen this man in my life. So I witnessed Miss ID, which is what like, mm-hmm. like she like thought she was like, that's my rapist, but she was wrong. Like is actually the leading cause of wrongful conviction. So like laws have changed because of this case. Lineups are banned in a lot of States cause she was given seven men in a lineup, but the real rapist was never there. So, but as a victim, mm, you feel like, sure. Oh, why are they showing me the seven guys? I should choose one of these people. So, um, they were in my documentaries. I've been friends with them for like 13, 14 years. Um, I helped them find a writer um, for the book, Picking Cotton, um, Aaron Tornio. And um, so they, they co-read it in their voices with her. And um, it became a New York Times bestselling book. And I'm directing that adaptation of it. So I'm really excited. Wow. Yeah. Hey, can't it's wait. Hard. Sounds great. I know. And yeah, it's hard to a, think that's of like a wonderful pitch. Yeah. A more perfect person to direct Aww. it too, which is I was, right. I well, think I mean, I'm, I'm friends challenges. with them. I've been with this story for mm-hmm. many, many, many years. And I think there's an activist part of me that like what I, the work that I did with after innocence of like changing laws and helping innocent people and like, just like being part of criminal justice change. I want it to even go even further with this film. So I'm really excited. And does this start like at the beginning, like at the crime and end yeah. at the yeah, at the it, exoneration or yeah, or like a little after. or after yeah, or at the after, yeah. finding the real person or because about how starting a relationship as as two people who are both harmed by the system and mm-hmm. actually share the same perpetrator too, and um, right. that they're very like two people who they're the same age from the same place, but they're different races, different classes, like completely different personalities, but they're totally connected. And it's almost like a love story in it. Right. And it's a perfect like act structure thing, right? Like 
you look at a movie like Mr. and Mrs. Smith or like a real by the book kind of story where they, the second act is about them, they're assassins and they're hired, they're assigned to kill each other. So they're like the enemy, each other's enemies and opponents for the entire second act. And at the end, when they have their final shootout in their house and they're seeing every item in their house that's reminding them of their love and their marriage, they kind of come back together with like a kiss. And then they were like, shit, now we got to be together. I have to rewatch that movie. It's really good. You know, it's written by Simon. I love the movie. I haven't thought about it in relation to my movie, but I should look at it again. Yeah, it was written by Simon Kinberg. But I think like every movie, you kind of, not every movie, but all, every kind of relationship movie, Mm -hmm. a good one, I think the second act is the people are opposing each other and they kind of come back together at the second act and they figure out who the real bad person is, which is in Mr. and Mrs. Smith, it's, they're still on the hook to kill each other, right? For their bosses. So now they have to team up and go. Um, take out their bosses pretty much um, they have to like kind of destroy the system which is I mean very much like your story right it's like these uh, two people are <laughs> shoot out at the end uh, of a little different but yeah, yeah I mean no, but, but yeah maybe but the yeah, fact that the same perpetrator that. they're like they're opponent opposing each other yeah right and yeah. then there's a symmetry to it for sure they come yeah. together to take out the real bad guy yeah well Ronald uh, yeah it's it's a crazy story that it's true so, and also I like it because it's positive and that like, there's about, it's about forgiveness. I think like everybody did their best, like from the mm-hmm. cops to like, as soon as they found out that Ronald was innocent, it was like, let's get him out. Like the police officer involved became police chief and he helped ban lineups. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like there's so many stories of misconduct and I just, I, I, yeah. I think it's inspiring. That's actually like a positive story. And yeah, I, it's a I think I like to be for part everyone. of telling something that, yeah, that's not yeah. just like another negative story. So when you have a great story like this, that you, I mean, you have all the, all the pieces you need, right? Like it's all kind of lining up. How, like, how do you decide how much money you need to make it? And like, like how, how does the production start? I mean, I get just process. the beginning, like I said, I'm setting it up right now, but I hired a line producer. So we did a schedule and budget to keep it like affordable. And do you have a, do you know how many days you're going to shoot or anything like that? I mean, this is like the schedule. I don't know how it'll all shake out, but like right now it's like 33 days. And, and is it a period piece? Um, it takes place in 1986 to 95. So, but I've also scouted every single location that I could of the actual story just for myself as a filmmaker. Cause I'm a big nerd and just want to like know what everything looks like and like what the people just want to talk to. Like I visit all the prisons that Ronald was at. I want to shoot at one of the prisons. Um, like a real working prison. Yeah. So like I've probably been about 14 prisons in the U S and then all these concentration camps just, I didn't realize I was like really into all this, but apparently I'm into injustice and <laughs> systems and even like the short film with little man in a cage. I was like, Oh, it's like a prison. Like I didn't mean to be a prison person, but there is definitely a strong theme there. And, um, but I've been to many prisons and this one prison that Ronald was at is a former slave plantation. It's 13,000 acres. It's like 99% black people picking vegetables, picking cotton. Now it was built in the thirties. It's the most decrepit, horrible, place I've ever seen and I've been to like tons of prisons and also most prisons that I see in film are like um shiny new prisons right. like right. Orange is the New Black or, or like Night, yeah, or yeah, night yeah. of and night, it's yeah. just not when I saw this prison I'm like I want to shoot here or in I want my prison to look like what this sure. really looks like because it's like Walking Dead well just like we're here in Los Angeles and there are people living in like 
you know, like 60 bunk beds with like a one fan and like a cooler. And it's, it's just like a million degrees and it's just horrible, you know? And like, I don't, it's just, there's a lot of crazy stuff happening in our country and I want to help bring light to that. So cool. Yeah. So you're like, I want to bring a film crew in here. I mean, we'll see how that works. Out. But the the warden was named Mr. Brickhouse. I mean, can you not like write a better name for yeah. the warden? My like, name what? is Jail Brickhouse. Yeah, it was Mr. Brickhouse. And then when I went to his office, he had like a tiny next to his desk, like a tiny mouse trap with like a tiny piece of cheese. I was like, I don't know. It just felt like a like a right, old like fashioned a movie. Yeah, name. it just yeah. didn't feel. I was like, what? You can't even like yeah. production design. It's like felt fake. It was too perfect. Yeah. Um. Are you DGA? Been a member for 11 years. Are you serious? Yeah, got in on my second doc. Oh, wow. And so are you, what do you think about being DGA? Is that helpful for you or does it matter? Uh, the healthcare is amazing as a commercial director. It's, yeah, I think it's great. I love it. And all your commercial jobs are DGA? Yeah. Is there a minimum pay for commercial jobs? I don't know. Is, like, could you do like a $5,000 oh. tiny commercial? I think so. I don't know, actually. I don't know. But I did my short DGA. Oh, really? And that's... What was the yeah. advantage of doing that? Um, because it's going to be on TNT, so we had to. Mm. <laughs> oh, really? And actually, technically, I'm in the DGA, so you have to do it anyways, right. but yes. Because it would have been easy not to, right? Like you just But because of like the release yeah, of yeah. it, I had to. And, then, and also, even like SAG, I think like we had to be buttoned up about everything. Sure. Well, so the last thing I want to ask you about is, like, what about TV? I want to direct TV. I've done many programs from Fox to NBC, and I've shot on a ton of shows, and I just haven't had the opportunity yet. Like, it's been hard to break in. And I know it's not unique to me because a lot of my female director friends, you know, I, I know it's opening up a lot right now, and I think with this short, like, I'm getting a, lot of, a ton mm. of TV meetings, but I haven't had that first opportunity yet, and I'm excited to do it, so... If anyone's about, listening, like the Ryan it. Murphy program or any of that stuff, are you into that? Or yeah, they actually they invited me to be part of it, but I was doing my short, and so um, like the short was insane. It took a long time to make, <laughs> so I had to like kind of. I mean, that was all I did for about six, seven months. Wow. Well, it was a really intense. It short. paid off. It sounds like so. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and do you think? Sorry, this is a whole new question, but is your do you think your doc background informs at all your filmmaking? Because I saw your short, I'm trying to think. I saw Bunyan, the other short you did, uh, and they don't, they're not doc style yeah. at all. They're no, like, I'm really into like crafted, art directed, but there is a naturalism even if it's heightened, mm -hmm. and I think being a doc and even my documentaries though they're more crafted than like super rough verite like I so I think still me but um but also as a documentary filmmaker I think you also like learn to like be very to agile and like adapt and like even like what you need like like you're like we don't have enough time we have to like, kill eight shots and you like just like going with the flow and being mm -hmm. open and it's like I just I think it's really good training or just it's good like as a documentary filmmaker you're shooting a lot and seeing a lot of real life moments and I think that's very helpful for narrative or commercial or it's all I think it's all good I think everything's like I think everything informs each other so yeah yeah I think about that a lot well cool let's uh, get into our final segment of the show 
unpaid endorsements. All right, Warren, you want to take it away? Sure. So my endorsement is, you guys know bagels? Um, the, the breakfast food? Sure. I mean, you can eat it at no. any time of the day. If you're a college student, yeah, all-time food. Well, so they're pretty fattening, right? Like if you eat one every day. What I figured out the other day is if you take like a bagel, like a regular fat bagel, and you take a bread knife and you cut it, instead of cutting it in half, you cut it in like thirds. So you basically try to cut like the very mm-hmm. top sliver and like a very bottom sliver. And then you have this middle like ring. Mm-hmm. You put that ring in the trash can and then you just toast to like the top third there's and the bottom third. something they hollow out that. Like, yeah, but get it's that. scooped. Yeah, right. scooped. Oh, yeah, there's a scoop bagel, but that just seems weird to me, right? This is I your cultural that, recommendation. The, there's also, I think there are um, oh, wait, bagels. Oh, thin bagels. Yeah, yeah, but those aren't good. Come You're on. like, no, no, just throw out. Well, no, you <laughs> have to get a good... Well, did you see that Seinfeld episode where they're trying to sell muffin tops? Sure, yeah. And then they try to bake muffin tops without the muffin, and they're just not good. And That's so, hilarious. Um, they have to bake them with the muffin, but they can't get rid of the muffin bottoms. They have to call in Newman to take care of them. <laughs> um, anyway... That's what, I, that's what I think about bagels. Like, you can't get a skinny bagel. You got to make it. But try it. Next time you make a bagel, cut it into thirds, mm. slice across, and, and I promise you, you'll like it better. And it's like, it toasts faster, and it's like a perfect toast. I don't know. It's awesome. Cream cheese, cucumbers, <laughs> and then my favorite new find from Trader Joe's, like uh, a year ago, is called Everything But the Bagel. It's a seasoning that has like uh-huh. everything that's yeah. on an everything bagel, like salt and poppy seeds and sesame seeds and all that stuff. Put that on top of the cream cheese. Anyway. Are people still listening? <laughs> that's, that's my recommendation. It's Love life-changing. It. This is hilarious. Uh, that's so funny. I'm awesome. And by the way, both sides of my family, the super pro-Trump and the super anti-Trump sides, both love this everything but the bagel thing. So that seasoning, I think it can bring us together. It's bringing us together. It's everything. It's all stuff. Yeah. Jessica, what you got? Uh, mine is more like cultural. Sure, no, no. Although that's bagels okay. are cultural. How is that not cultural? Oh, right. yeah, you can that go for like it. like edible. I didn't know we had to do edible. Um, <laughs> no, no. I just like it when me. friends intersect creatively. And my friend Jonas Belpash, who you guys should interview, has a series on Netflix called Social Fabric. He's very fashionable. It's all about like fashion and the culture behind it. And my costume designer, Shirley Karada, who is incredible and is Rodarte's stylist, she was on it. I was like, oh, my God. And it was all about jeans. And she and her man, Charlie Stoughton, have a really cool store in Silver Lake called Virgil Normal. I don't know if you've seen it. Oh, yeah. Where is oh. that? It's, it's on the corner, corner of Virgil and, and Normal. Oh, yeah, Virgil Normal. And <laughs> they have, like, guess. a cereal bar in the back where you can get, like, cereal. Oh, but it's not a cereal bar. It's not No, like it's one. a store. But in the back, there's, like, yeah, there's, like, a little hangout section. Anyways, they're cool. So just, like, it was fun to see a show that my friend created that I think is really good and then my friend on it and I just I don't know it's like made me happy it's like oh I like it's when you have creative comrades and they're all yeah connecting so the jeans episode of social fabric correct on Netflix correct I haven't watched that show I should check it out I liked it yeah yeah Yeah. I watched a lot of Queer Eye oh my god I love that show which has some fashion in it did you know, so you know Tan on Queer Eye? Mm-hmm. He like, he's the Indian guy and he like tells every guy to put, do the, the French, French tuck. tuck. Yeah. And now You've there's like an explosion it. of yeah, yeah. French What's tuck. What's French tuck? It's like when you have a button down shirt and you just like tuck the front, oh, the really? front of it into your pants, but not the back. Oh no. Oh man. You ever so watched season everyone... two? Like it's, 
like literally every single episode. He's like, I'm going to chew But do you see French like tuck. people in the world now doing yeah. French tuck? Yeah, yeah, like Instagram, type in French tuck on Instagram. It's like but everyone in the world. But now affected by it? Yeah, like big time. I think it's so, it's the power of film, you guys. For real. So, uh, yeah. Social good or fashion. They've removed uh, non-French tucks from I lineups. Need, I need to figure out, because Jonathan in season two talks about how you shouldn't wash your hair as much. You okay, should wash your hair. It's like once a week. Oh, once that, a week. Once or twice says. a week. And my hair, like I started being like, oh, I'll just rinse it. It's no problem. That's great. And I feel disgusting all the time. No, it'll even out. <laughs> I, I don't know. I used to wash really? my hair every day now. How, how does my hair look right now? Looks great. I didn't know what you looked like before. So yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's in a it's in a bit of an eye. It's too long, so it's real <laughs> floppy. But yeah, I like I like got sh- dry shampoo and stuff, and I just feel disgusting no, all the time. You don't need to do that. That's yeah, what the, he said. The oils will figure themselves. I out. googled it. And yeah, it was don't like, worry about it. Oh man. Well, I guess you're right. It depends on the body. Yeah, you I mean, not need dry I think I'm a grease ball, is what I'm saying. So <laughs> well, I don't know. Do we'll then see. Yeah. Jonathan, you're on blast. Is to ignore queer eye effects. Yeah, yeah. I'm wearing a. A flowery um, shirt and uh, French tucking it, and uh, I washed my face for the first time. Um, okay, so my endorsement, boy, we've got three winners this time, guys. Uh, my endorsement is uh, the Onion. They've been doing more videos again recently. I feel like the Onion used to like have like the best like like uh, political like. Um, satire videos there for a while. They were like spending a ton of money and they were doing like this morning show and stuff. Anyway, they're back and there's a Mamma Mia review from their quote unquote film critic that is the best. And it's basically just about how Mamma Mia 2 is like a super fun romp that you can take on face value unless your soul is rotten and you can't enjoy love anymore. And that's basically the joke over and over again. It's fine. <laughs> I'll, I'll say this. There's not enough Meryl Streep. That's a problem with it. every movie. Yeah, that's true. It. It's fun. Yeah. Okay. Unless you're... I love you're, a fun movie. Unless There's you're like a husk of a person. I'm making this hardcore, you know, rape prison movie, but then I want to make, like, a musical. Sure. Like, May it have, like, Pierce Brosnan dance yeah. with Colin Firth on a yeah. boat. Definitely. I think that's, like, fun. a totally normal... Like, I think you always want to make, like, the opposite. The opposite yeah. of what you made before. Yeah. How can we find out what's going on with the feature and the short? I mean, you have a website, Jessica website, Sanders. JessicaSandersFilm.com. Oh, nice. And do you tweet? No. Instagram? No. Okay, so our listeners will just go to your website <laughs> to keep track of things. I know. When your movie I'm comes not, out. Like, That's okay. I'm not like super social media girl. I mean, I have a tweet thing. No, I, but I don't really use it. <laughs> sure. yeah. Somehow I picked up on that. Uh, <laughs> I have a tweet device of some sort. <laughs> well, let us know when your movie is out and we'll let our listeners know because they can follow us uh, at Just Shoot It Pod on all social media. You can follow me at Mr. Matt Enlo. And me at Smitey Pileg. You can email us questions, comments at JustShootItPod at gmail.com. Leave us a review on iTunes, and that'll be awesome. This episode was edited by Christopher Robert Gray, and our webmaster is Ewan Williams, and our producer is Madeline Rosewatt. The music was provided by the Free Music Archive and the artist Jazar. Thanks, everyone. See you next time. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. 
And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 